0: We're turning in our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, and you will remember, if you were here approximately a year and a half or so ago, we spent about 12 weeks going through the Beatitudes that you find at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, and I have felt led, I believe, of the Lord to continue that study of the Sermon on the Mount. We have done the Beatitudes, and we hope that we have understood what the Lord Jesus was teaching in those. But there was much more that he taught within the Sermon on the Mount. And I want us in the weeks that God would set before us to look at this great sermon of the Lord Jesus Christ and see what he says to us in our own present day. We'll read the Beatitudes so that we can get the context of what the Lord is saying. Verse one. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I did announce on Thursday evening that we would be looking at the subject of salt and light. And I misled Trevor a little there because as I studied more and more into this passage of Scripture, particularly in verse 13, I found that there was too much to say on the, the subject of salt. So we're looking at the salt of the earth this morning And God willing, the week after next, after Children's Day, we will look at the light that we are meant to be. You will note in verse 10 that the Lord Jesus changed from addressing they to, in verse 11, addressing ye. He was speaking of those who were in Christ as being blessed if they fulfilled these things that we find in the Beatitudes. And then in verse 11, it seems that he takes his attention away from generalities and speaks specifically to the disciples themselves and says, blessed are ye. And in verse 13, he continues on with that particular second person and says, ye are the salt of the earth. We know that in the Beatitudes, the Lord Jesus was not addressing the multitude, but as he preached this greatest of all sermons, the multitude were not far from his thoughts. But specifically, he was speaking to the disciples, the twelve whom he had called to follow him. And we learnt in that study of the Beatitudes that that teaching, those things that the Lord laid down, that will make a man blessed in the eyes of God specifically deal with the interior of a man. They deal with our heart. And of course, the backdrop to that great teaching of the Lord was the external legalism of Phariseeism. And the Lord was opposing that in these teachings, showing that this is true religion. This is the faith of God, and it is within the heart. It is in the interior. It's not as much taken up with externalities of man-made religion, but it is to do with our relationship toward God and toward men from the heart. Now, the danger of just studying the Beatitudes is that we conclude, therefore, that this life of the Beatitudes can be lived in isolation, And if we make that mistake, it is a fatal one. To think that this great holy life can be lived from a world that contradicts what we believe. But as we read verse 13 to 16, we find that it is the opposite that is the case. It is the opposite that is true. In fact, the Lord Jesus is saying that it is impossible to live these eight beatitude characteristics in private. And to show that to us, the Lord Jesus Christ crowns them with two brilliant illustrations. To show that as we have considered in the Beatitudes what we are, we must now consider what we must be in the eyes of men and women. Someone has said that the believer is like a scuba diver in the ocean. He is out of his element in this present world system because his citizenship is in heaven. And that is a very apt illustration of our condition. We are not of the world, but we are in the world. We do not love the world, but we are called to be a witness to the world. And so you have this seeming contrast within the word of God of how we are to live holy lives, how we are to be godly in Christ Jesus and strive by the Holy Spirit to live a life that is pleasing to him, yet it cannot and it ought not be in isolation to the world. Of course, that is illustrated beautifully in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he had contact with the world without contamination from the world. Indeed, he was called the friend of sinners. Yet the writer to the Hebrews goes on to interpret that he was also holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. And that is so refreshing, isn't it? To realize that these beatitude spiritual principles can be lived in the midst of an awful sinful world. That it is a truth that true separation from the world can be without isolation from it. And hence the error of monasticism where men and women lock themselves away from the world and isolate themselves and subtract themselves and separate themselves from everything that this world is. How it is in total error about the mystery of what is in Christ. The great mystery of the gospel. The wonderful thing about this gospel of Christ is that a holy life can be lived in the midst of a sinful world. And that is seen in the illustrations that the Lord Jesus gives us of what our lives ought to be within the world. They're conspicuous, aren't they? They cannot be missed. Look at them, verse 13 to 16. He gives us the illustration of salt. Then there's the illustration of light. Then the third of a city sat on a hill. They cannot be missed. Indeed, his words contradict the growing concept today. Live a holy life, be a Christian, but don't broadcast it or bother anyone else with it. The Word of God teaches that the believer cannot display all these beatitudes in splendid isolation from the world. It is just not possible. Now, I want you to take yourself to the scene where the Lord speaks these words, and He says to His disciples directly addressing them, Ye are the salt of the world. I'm sure that perhaps some people in that gathering and the multitude might have thought it absurd to call them the salt of the earth. When you think of who they were some of them fishermen, some of them terrorists, some of them publicans and hated by all of society. And here is the Lord Jesus calling them the salt of the world. And literally in the Greek it means this, you alone are the salt of the world. In other words, he's saying out of the whole world, you 12 disciples are the salt of it and you alone. It's remarkable, isn't it? And in the Old Testament, the prophets were the salt of the land of Canaan. But now in the New Testament, these apostles would be the salt of the earth. And you know if you take a handful of salt in your hand and put it all over your dinner, or maybe you can take it along a long road, those millions of grains of salt, one handful of them, will have a tremendous effect indeed a widespread effect and when we consider the effect that the apostles had on our world indeed they turned it upside down we can see how true it was that they were the salt of the world now salt in our society is taken for granted but in the ancient world it was of great value indeed I'm led to believe that Roman soldiers had salt rations and they would revolt if their rations were changed in any way The English word that we have, salary, literally means salt money. And you've heard the saying that that a man is not worth his salt, or that a man is worth his salt. And really what you're saying is exactly what the ancient world said about salt. It is valuable, and we can measure a man's worth by it. So the Lord says to his disciples, and because we are his disciples also, he says to you today, You are the salt of the earth. What picture was he painting in that illustration? Well, the first thing I want you to note is the reason there needs to be salt. The reason there needs to be salt. If you go into the Old Testament, you find that the sacrifices there were never ever made with leaven. Leaven was symbolic or typical of sin. And never was leaven to enter into any sacrifice. But the sacrifices were always to have salt within them. Leaven is a picture of a corrupting force within the world, this antichrist system. But salt is seen to be something that is pure, something that is white, something that is holy and acceptable unto God. And we find that right throughout the whole of Scripture, salt becomes emblematic of the covenant between God and his people. In ancient times in the secular world, salt was symbolic of fidelity, of purity, of friendship. But what I want you to see in the light of what the Lord Jesus says here is that scripturally, salt is to be seen as a picture of spiritual health. Spiritual health. And of course, the epitome of spiritual health is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't it? And as we look all around us, unless we're blind and our sinner or are blindfolded Christians, we cannot fail to see that there is decay all around us. Daniel in his great vision saw the meaning of the image. It was revealed to him the fact that political powers would decay. They would go from gold to silver to brass and then to iron and then to clay. And what what he was saying was this history started with clay and Adam made from the clay of the ground but history will end with clay and all the great battlements, all the great empires and status symbols of men will turn one day to dust again in the face of a holy and a wrathful God. We see that happening in our midst. We see the religious world is decaying, for Paul says that men have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The Lord Jesus himself said, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And we are blind if we cannot see that we are in perilous times. We are in the times that Paul spoke of. We are in the end time. And when we think of the decay, And when we think of the subject of decay, after decay, there comes a falling apart. And what we are seeing in our society today is a falling apart of everything around us. Marriages are falling apart. Families are being broken up and scattered. Law and order is laughed at. The basic institutions of our society are threatened near to extinction. And many of the structures that we see in our society that look healthy from the outside are rotting in the inside and it is only a matter of time before they collapse and they fall around our ears. As one writer said, the corpse is rotting away and the egos are gathering together. Now, in that backdrop, You can see the need for salt. Can you? Can you see in the tone of the Lord Jesus Christ that he is saying his motivation is that it is criminal for a Christian disciple to isolate or insulate himself and stand at the sidelines and wait for the great collapse of society? contrast is that between Jonah and the Lord Jesus what did Jonah do he went outside the city of Nineveh and he sat down and he waited for the judgment and wrath of God to fall upon those people but what did the Lord Jesus do it says he went in and looked over the city and he wept and he wanted to woo them to himself You have Abraham who knew the corruption of Sodom and Gomorrah, yet he prayed that that city might be spared. You have Paul in the book of Romans who knew how blind Israel was, yet he was willing to be accursed that Israel might be saved. You can see Joseph in Egypt. You can see Daniel in Babylon. And all of those individuals in the midst of a decaying world that was falling apart around them, they were divine salt for good. Granted, their ministries did not prevent the ultimate collapse of the nations, but let me say this, they left everyone in those nations without excuse. (coughs) Now, my friends, that is the need for salt. That is why we need salt, and we need to be salt in this world, because of the awful corruption, depravity, and sinfulness of this world system around us. Then we see, secondly, from this picture of salt, that salt brings preservation the preservation that salt brings and you will know I'm sure that in the ancient world there was no ice making machines there was no refrigeration and the only way that they had to preserve meat was to salt it down and rub salt into it or soak it down in a saline solution do you believe humanity is rotting? do you believe that I hope you haven't swallowed the evolutionary philosophy that is, is channeled into children in, in school and to us through the television and, and the radio and the newspapers and the periodicals and the magazines. We are continually bombarded by it that humanity is getting better and better by the day. It is a lie. It is rotting. It is decaying. And that is why God had to destroy it with a flood. But I want you to know that after the flood, they were as sinful as they were before the flood. Humanity does not and cannot change. And what the Lord Jesus was saying in verse 13 of chapter 5 of Matthew's gospel is this. Humanity without me is a dead body rotting and falling apart and you, my followers, are the salt of the earth that must be rubbed into the flesh to halt that decomposition. He is saying that the Christian must be rubbed into the world. He didn't say as many Christians, modern Christians say, you're the sugar of the earth. Meaning gentleness and winsomeness without truth, not the offense of the gospel or the stumbling block of the cross. But what he was saying is, if you are to be the salt of the earth, you will be disadvantageous to be salt. It will not be nice to be salt, because as you are rubbed into the world, that salt will hurt the world. And when God's people are amongst those who are raw towards God, their presence will hurt See, the man that is without God and is wrong before God is like an open wound. And when you come in, and if you come in with a holy and righteous life, it will aggravate it, it will irritate him. The annoyance and distress he will will feel will bring spite towards you and hate and persecution, hence the persecution in verses 11 and verse 12. You see, that's why we're still here. Do you ever think about this? The reason why the Lord didn't rapture us as soon as we were converted is that we are to be here for the Holy Spirit is within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church of the living God. And through that Holy Spirit in the church, he convicts the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment to come. The reason why the world hated the Lord Jesus Christ, the reason why the world fed the Christians to the lions is that if he and if we had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. Now, my friends, let's be honest with this. Are we being rubbed into the world? Are you? As Christians, have we saturated the world system, infiltrated it, in order to turn people away from the darkness of Satan onto the kingdom of God's glorious light? Do we work like a preservative, like an antiseptic on the effect of decomposition, life? Do we rub life and soul into people around us, into the society that we live in, into the workplace that God has placed us in, in the family that we have jurisdiction over, Are we salt within it? Now you know as well as I do that there are certain people and in their company you have to be spiritual. They have a preserving influence on you. But then there are other people. And when you're in their company, you think nothing of dropping down the, the guard and saying something you know you shouldn't say and talking in doubtful conversation. And what that is simply illustrating to us is that salt has a preserving effect. It brings with us a precious, a, a holy influence on society. My friend, if we were what we ought to be, Our influence in society would reduce the crime level. It would restrain ethical corruption. It would promote honesty. It would quicken the conscience of unbelievers. It would elevate the general moral atmosphere to an all-time high. Can you imagine what the presence of such salt in the military would mean? In business, in education. But the antithesis of that is... That if their presence is not there, and if the Christian is not rubbed into the midst of the world, all we do is hasten the surprising levels of depravity we see around us today. You see, the truth is this. We are meant to be unlike the world, and salt is essentially different from the world. And that is why, when it is rubbed in, it has a preserving effect. Thirdly, the illustration the Lord gives us is that salt has a savoring influence. The savoring that salt gives, you will know that salt flavors things and certain foods without salt is insipid and even maybe sickening. What the Lord Jesus is saying is Christianity is to life what salt is to food. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said this I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. You can laugh at that if you want. Robert Louis Stevenson said once in his diary after going to church, and it seemed to be an extraordinary phenomenon. He wrote, I have been to church today and I'm not depressed. The perception of the world is that we are the opposite of salt upon life, isn't it? That we are not the savour and the flavour of life, but we are that insipid tastelessness and unsavouriness of life. We seem to hinder everything that is pleasure. But all the Lord is saying to us is, ye are the salt of the earth and you must discover once more that lost radiant flavour of the Christian faith. He is saying, in a worried world, the Christian should be the only one who remains peaceful. In a depressed world, the Christian should be the only man or woman who remains full of joy. Do you have a savoring influence on those around you? Do you? Do you have a positive influence? Do you exceed this... Aura that life without Christ is insipid and is dull. That's not what our culture teaches us. Our culture uh, attempts to numb itself with pleasure and with drugs and with a pleasure mania. And people are literally dying of boredom around us. The entertainment industry thrives on making life look better, on making it more fun and luxurious. And good within it is often portrayed as evil. And evil is good. And evil is seen to be more exciting than good, isn't it? But that is a lie. And young people, whatever you do, don't believe that lie. The truth of God is this. Do you believe this, Christian? Think about that. That holiness is more exciting than sin. Can you think of the influence that we would have on society if we were more courteous, if we worked harder, if we produce the best musicians and artists and craftsmen and students. But fourthly, and I do want to finish this message with you today, there is a thirst that salt causes. A thirst that salt causes. Jesus made people thirsty for God. You see that, don't you? He attracted people to God. He repelled the Pharisees and the legalists, but the ordinary sinners, the ordinary people, were attracted to the Lord Jesus. Now the question, it's too obvious. Do we make people thirsty for Christ? You know from taking one slop of your soup or one bite of your dinner to know whether it's been salted or not, don't you? The question is when people take one bite of us do they taste Christ? There is a thirst that salt causes. And then fifthly there the Lord Jesus says it's useless salt. Now please look at this. Verse thirteen. If the salt has lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? If the salt becomes tasteless. Now today the salt that you have on your dinner table when you go home, chemically speaking, it's been refined so many times that that it's impossible for it to lose its saltiness. It's an extremely stable substance. It can't become tasteless. But in Palestine, the type of salt that they had could be diluted or even adulterated. So if you came along and put a load of water in the salt, and mixed it all up, that wasn't good enough to preserve meat. Or perhaps there was some sand mixed in, or soil or dirt mixed in with the salt, and it wasn't pure. So so the salt could be diluted, or it could be adulterated. And either one of those two things would do one thing. It would make the salt lose its preserving influence. Someone has said, if we are not affecting the world, the world is affecting us. Are we exporting or are we importing? Are there greater influences coming into the church than going out of the church? If we are salting the world, if we are not salting the world, you know what that means? The world is rotting us. Matthew Henry said salt is remedy for unsavory meat but there is no remedy for unsavory salt now please don't dilute the words of the Lord Jesus Christ because he says if the salt and the salt is the believer if the salt has lost its savour there's nothing can be done it is to be thrown out and trodden under foot of men Why does he say that? Because if the salt is adulterated or diluted, the purpose of the salt to fight deterioration, it has been deteriorated itself and that purpose is lost. You know what he's speaking of? Uselessness. And he says that uselessness invites disaster. You know something, there are some substances and when they become useless for one thing that can be useful for another, you think of grapes. You have a lovely bundle of grapes on your table and they're there primarily. The greatest thing is for your refreshment. But when the grapes are wrapped, what do you do? Well, they can't be used for your refreshments, but if they're sweet grapes, you can plunge them and make them into wine. Or if they're not sweet enough for the wine, then you can make them into vinegar. And if they're even not good enough for vinegar, you can use them as fertilizer to fertilize other vines and make more grapes. And there are many uses for many things that become useless. But let me say this, there is no use for salt that becomes unsavory. For it is cast out. And trodden underfoot of men in the street. The street was the rubbish dump of Palestine. And you know what the Lord Jesus is saying? And you know what the message is to you today? Are you a rubbish Christian? Are you? There is a need for salt. The Lord asks, How will it be made salty again? You know why I know that there are rubbish Christians? And you know why I know that, that, that those rubbish Christians are thrown out on the street and trodden under foot of men? Well, one reason is the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. And the second reason is you can search all of Asia Minor for all the great churches that you find written in the Word of God and you'll not find any of them. Why? Go to North Africa. Look for the Church of Great Augustine. You'll not find it. Why? because they lost their salt and they were thrown out and trodden underfoot foot of men. My friend, I have so much to say to you, but I want to end on this note. In a country like ours, in a city like ours that claims such a high density of believers, why do we have so little influence? perhaps in the last 50 years or more. They've done more for peace. They've done more for social matters and influenced society politically in every other way than you can imagine. But I believe that we have entered into a new dark age. Spiritually, we are in another dark ages, And the only way to get out is if we prevent it Am I placing too much responsibility on man? No. Christ said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the preserving influence. You are the savoring factor to society. You are the one that will rub life into this world. And he tells us that we need again to find our saltiness. And that will only happen when we live a holy life. And that holy life is brought into contact with a dying, decaying, depraved world. Let us pray. And as we bow our heads, we heard recently about a blue moon service. And you know, it grieves my heart that as far as I can tell, and many in this assembly, there's some here today And the only thing that makes you Christian is the fact that you come and warm a seat on a Sunday. My friend, that is not what a Christian is. For the Christian is the salt of the earth. And my question to you is, have you lost your savor? For you need to beware that you are not thrown out Father, these are hard sayings. They do not comfort us, but they trouble us. But one thing we do know is this we want to be what He wants us to be. We want to be holy. We want to make a difference in the home and in the school, in the university and in the workplace. We want to be the salt of the earth. And we pray that through us, that you would overflow your blessing to a dying world. In the Saviour's name we pray. Amen.